Welcome to the Frontline Podcast, brought to you in association with the Atler Group. Atler Group is a collaboration of businesses with a collective history of over 130 years, bringing financial solution to its clients in the world of accountancy, audit, advisory, fiduciary and retirement benefit solutions. Visit atler.im today. On the Frontline Podcast, we chat to leaders in business and successful entrepreneurs to bring you their in-depth and bite-sized opinions that will add value to you and your mind. Ben, thanks for joining me today on Zoom. I appreciate you uh, sparing us a little bit of time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we just want to talk about uh, responsible investment today, particularly around the subject and also Brooks McDonald's position in regard to that, perhaps uh, to set the scene for listeners Perhaps you can just explain what it really is, a bit of background to it, uh, and perhaps expand a little bit, certainly on the, I call it the vetting and the KYC process, because the responsible investing, I guess, falls into many categories and, uh, yeah, just just the stance as well on, on how you guys approach that. Sure, absolutely. And I think the key thing there is, Martin, very much what you, you mentioned about it being a very broad subject space and there's lots of different avenues within it. So in terms of you know, framing responsible investment, the, the way that we look at it at Brooks McDonald is really in, in two primary camps. Um, uh, and the first is really understanding the role that doing environmental, social and governance analysis can play in all investment mandates. The fact that the risks around not doing ESG analysis can play to your investment portfolios and ultimately client returns. There's things around a company's environmental footprint, um, obviously a specific focus at the moment around carbon, or it's it's uh, the way it runs its business and the, the, the social interactions that it has with both its employees, the, the wider community and wider stakeholders are increasingly under focus and scrutiny from policymakers, regulators and consumers. So there's, there's very clear financial risks to companies that may not have been uh, considered or as material 10, 20 years ago. So the way that we initially think about it is, how should we be thinking about this for all of our clients, uh, regardless of whether they have set objectives around uh, environmental and social criteria? So we've been doing a lot of work within the business over the last couple of years about how can we make assessments around investments, um, exposures to environmental and social risks and also opportunities. The second element of it is for those clients where they do have set objectives or clear objectives about what they want to achieve in addition to their financial returns around environmental and social characteristics and portfolios. So with that in mind, we've set up a service which we call the Responsible Investment Service, where we have two clear strategies um, where there are financial objectives attached to those, but we also have some clear environmental, social and governance criteria. Um, the first is based on exclusions, um, what we call avoid. Uh, so um, m- most of your, your listeners will be aware of this approach. It's, uh, it's quite clear. It's quite um, blunt in terms of a tool, but it's essentially highlighting certain products for us. So we concentrate on armaments, tobacco, alcohol, gambling and adult entertainment and ensuring that they are formally excluded from, from your portfolios in terms of um, all of the underlying funds processes as well. The second strategy that we have in place is what we call advanced. So this is very much more the the positive inclusionary basis for investing. Um, And we we frame it around eight key themes. So we are looking at four environmental areas and four social areas. 
uh, being cleaner energy, um, sustainable transport, um, uh, water and waste management, uh, health and well-being, safety, education, financial inclusion. So it's a very thematically minded strategy. Um, what we're looking for here are investments which are positively contributing to those eight areas uh, through the products and services that they, they provide and sell. Um, but also we take a slightly wider view of sustainability with those eight themes, looking at companies across the global economy, which are contributing through how they run their businesses. So, you know, looking at how they treat wider stakeholders, their environmental policies, and ensuring that the management of their business is really taking into account the impacts they have in those areas. So it's a, it's a rather long answer to a potentially short question, Martin, but we frame it very much in those two categories in terms of our core services integrating, but it's not necessarily always the key determinant of investment selection. And then those set objectives for clients in terms of trying to meet their financial goals, as well as uh, you know that, that set uh, sustainability framework, be it avoid or advance. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, out of interest in an observer, how do you quantify those those parameters? Yeah, so it's a real challenge at the moment for, for the wider industry in terms of quantifying a lot of the, that's involved in ESG analysis. Um, there are a growing number of data providers in this space um, and the data is getting better. So, so that's the first thing to highlight. So I think it gets a lot of bad press um, and, and to some degree, understandably, and we would echo some of the points around the data. But I think it's also important to, to say that the data is improving particularly over certain areas uh, like carbon footprinting and a lot of the environmental measures that companies are increasingly being forced and pressured to, to report on. Um, but it is also important to say that a lot of the work we do is around the qualitative assessment. So, um, you know, as I say, whether this is for our core services and understanding you know, key risks to our investments or whether it's around those set objectives in our responsible investment service, a lot of our energy and attention and research goes into assessing process. Um, it goes into assessing qualitative assessments of management teams or of companies' um, operations. Because ultimately, there are a lot of things within this broad space of ESG analysis, which uh, ultimately, in my view, cannot be quantified. So it's really about trying to understand and select investments uh, and the management teams where you think that there's real intent um, in terms of their, their actions in these spaces. And there's clear policies and processes to help manage the impacts that they have. And ultimately, always working towards a greater reporting framework from underlying companies through to fund managers, through to us, and through to, to end clients. So whether that's through quantifiable measures, as I say, like carbon uh, footprinting, or whether it's through more qualitative narrative-based reporting to, to give clients and clients a better understanding of how their, their investments are, are positioned. Uh, and certainly, um, to, just to cap that off, in terms of our strategy, when I, when I think about our advanced strategy around those eight themes, something that we do is take a look at the underlying company exposures we have, and we look to align the underlying companies to our eight themes where we think there is a clear alignment of their products and services to helping address uh, one of those areas, which again, hopefully adds to less so a, a hard quantifiable measure, but certainly that uh, communication tool for, for clients to understand where their investments are. Yeah, it makes sense. So, so do you do you find uh, sort of most, as, as with most things, performance is, is naturally a driver for most clients uh, and individuals that 
there's not necessarily a compromise, but sometimes there needs to be a compromise from a client if they're looking for their perhaps the full ESG package that perhaps the performance of the perhaps uh, wouldn't say is compromised, but they need to need to balance that with their with their wishes as well, and that must be difficult in your situation if it, if that's the case. Yeah, the way the way that I look at it is instead of trying to understand where compromise might come, it's just understanding the the characteristics of your portfolio. And if I look at um, particularly the division between our core services and our our set strategies in the service, then our core portfolios, all of the investment decision making is around trying to maximise risk adjusted returns. So that's the role that ESG plays is solely around understanding risks. Are they correctly priced in? Are we aware of them? And will will that ultimately be detrimental to client returns? Obviously, on the other side of the equation, there are sort of more set objectives around what we're trying to achieve. Now, I'm very biased with the hat that I wear and and the role that I play that, in my view, particularly if I think about the themes within our advanced strategy, in my mind, over long time horizons, looking forwards, I think these are areas of the economy and characteristics that um, shouldn't be viewed as being a compromise within your portfolio. In, in, In my view, they are as much a thematic way of investing regardless of personal values it's looking into the structural growth areas of our global economy that are increasingly supported by as i say both the the top-down policy and regulations but also bottom-up consumer uh, trends and demands Um, so in my view i I don't think it should be a compromise and it shouldn't be detrimental to client returns however it is also very important to highlight that there will be certain structural biases within those portfolios and most notably at the moment, they tend to be towards certain sectors, um, namely in our portfolios, at least, and most of um, our peers, it's technology, healthcare and industrials, because that's where the greatest opportunities with those themes in mind are located. So this can be a clear driver in certain market environments and a headwind in others over short time periods. And you know, to be um, sort of very clear at the moment, they are providing some headwinds at the moment, as we've seen this rotation away from some of those more growth minded sectors into some of those more um, value orientated areas. So I, I would say that it's, it's really important to be aware of biases lie in these portfolios and be aware what that might do over short time periods and in different market environments. But as I say, if um, clients have a long term time horizon, then in my opinion, um, that they shouldn't necessarily be detrimental to, to, to longer term returns. Okay. Okay. And then in regard to the appetite around people looking for ESG exposure, where are you seeing that? Are you seeing that at the individual level? So retail, mm-hmm. is it family office? Is it, you know, corporates with investment portfolios? What where are you seeing that main appetite at the moment? So I, I would say that the institutional space um, is probably further ahead than the retail market. And this has been the case for, for several years. Um, so we're seeing a lot of large institutional mandates, which have very set ESG um, and sustainability mandates in place now. But I would say that the kind of uh, probably that the speed of growth uh, coming from a low base, it's important to note, it is coming from that retail part of the market. And something that we keep an eye on is the Morningstar quarterly sustainable fund flow report that they publish. Um, it just gives you an idea in terms of, on a global basis, the, the kind of the, the growth of assets that are being put into this marketplace predominantly, and, and this is mainly looking at retail, retail money. And we've seen consistent 
net inflows and growth of net inflows over the last couple of years. Now, it's everything flowed a little bit over recent times, but just to put some numbers on it for you, um, I, I was looking at the Q1 report recently, and there has been a slowdown in Q1, um, but globally, the there was about $97 billion of retail money that was net money that was put into sustainable funds around the world. So that was a slowdown on Q4 of about 33%. Now, given the nature of what markets have done and just investor appetite, it, it's, um, it, it's relatively understandable. But I think the important part is actually if you compare that to the broader fund market, so funds that don't have a sustainable mandate in place. Now, the absolute number is larger, as you'd expect, but it's actually not that much larger. Uh, so net inflows in Q1 were $138 billion worldwide. So I think actually, if you look at that next to each other, 97 versus 138, then as a proportion, it's extremely high. And actually what we saw is that the, the percentage drop of 33% in sustainable funds was actually 73% in uh, the wider fund market. So again, A, that reflects a weakening investor appetite, but it also, in my opinion, reflects is the fact that there is it's a disproportionately robust part of the market. So even though the, the, the net number fell, there's still um, sort of a growth of market share gain in that sustainable part of the market. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, um, I appreciate there was a few numbers flying about there, but hopefully kind of the crux of what I'm trying to um, communicate there came through that we are seeing sort of structural growth in these funds from, from across the market, with Europe being the key leader in this space still, but we're seeing an increase in interest from, from the States and other geographies as well. Interesting. Thank you. And just to perhaps finish off, uh, Phil, you've kindly joined us as well on, on Zoom. From an Alaman perspective, are you seeing more and more appetite in, in the ESG and clients asking about that, coming in and talking about that? Yeah, thanks, Martin. Uh, the answer is yes. Um, you know, in, in my career, I think every meeting um, that I might bring up, responsible investing, the level of engagement on the subject has increased significantly. And certainly here on the Isle of Man, that's no different. Um, so, so yeah, um, I, I would say that it forms a, a part of a pretty much every meeting that, that I have and, and, uh, and, 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 a, and a high level of, of interest. You know, there's no doubt that this subject is forming a more and increasingly central part of all of our lives, whether that's taking a reusable coffee cup to the refuge or me standing at the till in Tesco's hard thinking about, do I buy another carrier bag because I didn't bring enough with me? You know, it is it is a part of, of, of each of our of each of our lives. I think the other thing there is, you know, we are lucky enough to have this resource and it's established now. You know, Ben's built and run that responsible investment service since 2018. Um, and, um, you know, that the, the, this intergenerational wealth transfer that's affecting all of us over the next few years, your business, Martin, uh, IFAs and, 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 and banks, you know, this subject forms part of that. Um, and we all need to have a robust um, proposition so we can have conversations and meet the needs for clients who've got aspirations that need to factor in this subject. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. Well, thanks, chaps. Uh, appreciate you joining us on this bite side episode and uh, yeah appreciate your time very much thanks Martin thanks man thanks for listening everyone 